Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital, dedicated to providing you with insights, assurance, and confidence to grow and manage generational wealth. Full Sail Capital is a fiduciary registered investment advisor managing more than $1.5 billion with a focus on integrity, competency, and transparency. Welcome back to another episode of Charting the Course. Today, I'm eager to introduce a new series of sorts called Anchored. As is the case with every episode, our goal is to always educate and equip investors with the necessary information to make wise and confident financial decisions. Well, outside of the capital markets, I would say one of the more popular topics we discuss with clients and partners is real estate and its role in an investor's portfolio. So very similar to our Squared Away episodes, these anchored episodes are going to seek to address any and all questions specifically related to real estate. There's no better way to kick this conversation off than by sitting down with Scott Cravens and Zach Reynolds from our office. Of course, Scott serves as the chief operating officer and an advisor here at Full Sail Capital, but he also has a lifetime of real estate investing experiences, which you can hear more about in a previous episode we recorded and published on uh, November 4th, 2021. That was part of our Generational Wealth series. The very first one featured Scott and his story. So go back, give that a listen. I'll include a link here in the show notes. Uh, and then Zach, of course, is our chief investment officer, the leader of our investment team. He's got a decade plus of experience, which includes incorporating and managing real estate within a client's portfolio. Again, thank you to both of these guys for sitting down with me, taking the time out of their day to kick off this anchored conversation. Last thing I want to do, I want to point you to our resources page on our website. That is where we put all of the podcast episodes. They go there. Of course, you can go there and then link out to your preferred platform. But all of our podcasts are on there as well as all of our articles. So any article we write gets published on the website. You don't have to have a subscription to any publication or anything like that. We hit on a lot of topics on there. So there are a few real estate related ones that we've hit on. So anyway, go to the resources page on the website. It'll provide some what I think is some really good information. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to get to my conversation with Zach and Scott. Zach, Scott. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me today. So you both make a ton of sense, Scott, with your expertise. I'm going to have you here in just a minute to kind of set up the series and give us some of your ideas here. And then Zach, of course, from the investment side, just as an asset class, I think this conversation today and the conversation going forward is going to be fascinating and, and going to appeal to a lot of people. We're going to hit on the pros and cons. We're going to hit on the, the highs and lows of investing in real estate. But Scott, if you would give us an idea of kind of your thought behind this series, some of the things we're going to hit on, and then we'll dive into really our conversation today of setting it all up. Yeah, sure. The vision for this series or the desire to, to conduct this series is based on close to 15 years at this point of me having conversations with clients and wanting to create discussions around the topics that I have the most consistently and getting people to provide some perspective to those clients as they think about the asset class. Something that's fun, at least for me, uh, about doing something like this with Zach is that Zach and I have worked together for close to a dozen years, and we figured out that our two skill sets here really work well in terms of how we help clients assemble these assets into holistic wealth management. And that's really guided at least me in, in terms of how I work with Zach and how I leverage his skill set with mine to help clients. Um, anybody who knows me knows the, my background in real estate. If you don't, there's a little bit of that in our Generational Wealth series, the first episode of that series. Go give that a listen. I walked through it a little bit, but I've been involved in real estate my whole life. I love it. It's my greatest passion as an asset class, so know a lot about it. With that in mind, 
as Tyler said, the series is really about connecting our clients with information they need to help make decisions for themselves. So we're going to talk about residential investing, which my favorite real estate question or statement, I guess, is actually clients say, oh, I'm going to buy a rent house. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a broker confessional. So I want people to understand how to interact with real estate brokers, the do's and don'ts. And you're going to get to hear from a couple of folks who certainly know that area of the world in our market, uh, in my view, almost better than anybody. Uh, we're going to talk about private placements. We're going to interview somebody who does a number of those. I think that's great because clients get confronted with those opportunities quite a bit. 1031s is a regular 1031 exchange is a regular thing I get client calls about, curiosities about. So I want to have an expert in that field dive into that subject. We're going to do a, a fun episode on management, uh, real estate management confessional. And the whole point of that is to get people to think through whether or not they really want to get into management once they hear someone who's been doing it their whole life, what they've had to deal with. I have some crazy stories. I know somebody who has crazier stories than I do. Uh, and then the last one is Zach and I have a very healthy, consistent debate that is I think really productive for clients to hear about how you finance real estate projects and the pros and cons of that. I'll preface that by saying preview of coming attractions, but I think Zach is right. But this is where your own goals and ambitions have to mesh with uh, finance. So anyway, we'll get into that. But that's kind of the point of the series and what we're going to cover. I now have Scott on, on recording record, saying say, Zach is right, and I'll, I'll just I, I need that audio. I'll cut that Please, out. Thank you. Uh, we'll we'll just put that in the <laughs> intro now. Yeah, you, you can I mean the, the the math is the math. To be fair, but <laughs> agreed. Yeah, but so, but you had very good reason from you know your grandfather teaching you the business. And that was a different time in the market, and it made a lot of sense the way he brought you up to be debt-free. You're forcing me into talking about it. I was trying to just tee it up. <laughs> but the short reality of that is when you're going to be a real estate investor, you have to make a very difficult decision about using debt and leverage to make those purchases. I'm a believer. I have my own method, which is the snowball method, which is that you use the income you generate that you don't need for your living expenses along with the income being generated from other properties to acquire new properties and you grow that snowball over time. I'm not a huge user of leverage and I don't like it. But as Zach said, that's because I was taught the business by somebody who was in the real estate business in Oklahoma City when the real estate business wasn't very good. And I was taught to be very cautious and prepared for what may come next. Zach, what would you add to Scott's comments as we look out over this topic we're going to continue to address? I've learned so much from Scott over the decade plus that we've been working together about real estate. And so the way I think about real estate is much more macro level from portfolio construction standpoint. Just briefly, let's talk about that. So yeah. real estate investment trusts or the real estate sector is about 3% of the S&P 500. It's not super meaningful. There's a lot of good evidence that over time, REITs have become pretty well correlated with the overall stock market, pretty highly correlated with the financial sector. So you, you really aren't getting a ton of diversification benefit when you're investing in publicly traded REITs. We own them. They do produce income. There's some benefits. But it's important to think about real estate as an asset class. And this is where I think it's a little bit of a weakness of a just cap-weighted index fund in investment. The real estate asset class as a whole is massive. Think about all the real estate yeah. in the United States. Yeah. Think about all the, the private homes. The value of that is huge. There's not an easy way to invest in that asset class. It's very fragmented. And that's where I, I've learned so much from Scott, watching how he operates as a real estate owner, seeing how he can create value in very real, tangible ways. Mm -hmm. 
it's so much different from buying a stock in a real estate investment trust. I'll also go back to kind of the beginning of my career, which was right before the global financial crisis in 2008, 2009. Yes, there were publicly traded REITs that went down along with the entire market in 2008, 2009. The other thing, my first exposure to private real estate investing was non-traded REITs, which very deservedly have a horrible reputation. They were an incredibly popular, super high commission product that brokers all over the country sold. And so my experience for the first five years of my career was, was seeing those get transferred in as I took over portfolios and having absolutely no liquidity in many of those products and not receiving any income because Uh, Many of them just were frozen and clients lost a ton of money. So that tells you how important it is to be very selective in terms of who your operator is, understanding what you're investing in. And then to Scott's point too, leverage is great when returns are are good and prices are going up and income is good. Leverage can kill you when prices Mm -hmm. go the other way. So it's an area that requires a lot of due diligence and caution. but As I've watched Scott and we've made some private real estate investments on behalf of our clients over the years, I think that is the way you can create the most diversification benefit for a portfolio. So I think it's, I'm so glad to have Scott on the team because he is really the person who can help us through that process. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more with you both have really kind of talked about the areas of the briefly kind of the ways you can gain real estate exposure. And a lot of them have to do with the episodes that we will record. I think a good place to start, because we want to stay high level, at least today, on where we want this to go and this conversation to go. Let's talk about some of the common just mistakes or misconceptions that people have or mistakes that they make around this real estate asset class. They do not know what their objective for buying it is. Here's how it starts. Every time, this is how it starts. Scott, with no hesitation off <laughs> yeah. the top. Yeah, yeah. Client comes in and says, I'm going to buy a rent house. And early on, when I was working with clients as an advisor, and I was brought into those rooms for that discussion, I, I would try to talk to them about real estate as the asset class. And uh, you know, I would start getting technical with them. And that was a huge mistake. What I learned through trial and error was the question I start with now is, Why? What is the objective mm-hmm. that you're mm-hmm. trying to achieve by introducing this asset class to your portfolio? What Zach said is absolutely right. There are highly correlated to public market ways to get involved in real estate that are not particularly sexy. They don't feel great to clients. And so there's this allure of buying something tangible or investing in something that you can drive by and look at and touch and feel and you can tell people, I own that. And what, you're, what I'm up against when I try to approach that is I have to help clients think bigger picture about why they're doing something. Because what happens is that a lot like people's stock performance when they pick individual stocks, real estate people have this way of loving to tell you about their wins. They don't want to tell you so much about their losses. Mm-hmm. So clients will come in and they'll say, I want to own a rent house. And I'll say, Why? Tell me, what is the objective you're asking that to accomplish? Well, I think it will help me add income, okay? Then what kind of rent house are we going to target to do that? And by the way, a rent house turns over from a lease perspective once every 12 months on average. That's still true. If you're in the Airbnb market, it's turned over every day or or every week. So that income isn't really stabilized the way that you try to, Zach would ladder a bond portfolio. 
The challenge, I think, is helping people realize the difficulty of actually getting that real estate to accomplish that objective. And then I'll steer them because in talking with them about their objective, I'll figure out what they're really trying to accomplish. The other thing that I think is at least worth mentioning at this point is that a lot of times clients don't understand that real estate in direct ownership form is not an investment. It is a business. You're getting involved in something that's going to require your time and your management expertise in order to produce results within that asset class. And the lack of that expertise can cost you quite dearly from a variety of angles. And I hope that we can vet that out as we talk through the series. Common mistakes, Zach, that you see on the real estate side or misconceptions, maybe in how it fits into a portfolio. Maybe we new client comes over and we're analyzing what they have. Yeah. I mean, what I've observed is you kind of have two types of real estate investors. One is folks like Scott who have created a lot of wealth or their families have created a lot of wealth from real estate. Scott is one of the few people, and I know he's coached a lot of others kind of through this, but who has recognized that real estate is great, but public markets can be really good too, and they need to work together. And you can have a concentration in real estate that is too large relative to the other asset classes that are available to you. A lot of people struggle to see that. And I think, as Scott said, that the tangible nature of real estate is very attractive to a lot of people. And then the the other folks, and this is very common, as Scott said, is people who go, hey, I sold my business. I've got a lot of money. You know what I really need now is some real estate. And Scott did a great job describing that's that means you're starting another business. Right. And right. the other option there is, okay, I could go buy some real estate and then pay someone else to manage it. And what I try to really encourage people to think through if they do that is, all right, let's look at the prospective return for buying one rent house or two rent houses and then paying a property manager. And what is the actual net return there? And let's compare that to what the expected annual rate of return from fully liquid other asset classes. And that's another thing that's really important to keep in mind about real estate. It is not liquid. The transaction costs for selling real estate, as you'll get into the broker series, are significant. You can go sell a share of stock for effectively nothing right right now. So all those things from just a financial portfolio construction perspective, require me to earn a higher rate of return from real estate to compensate me for that liquidity risk. So if I'm getting 8% from my real estate and 8% from stocks, I'm taking stocks every day because they're liquid. And as a real estate you know, person, I would agree with that. I would agree with that sentiment that under those two circumstances, you're not getting the illiquidity premium that you need. If you're not getting it, then being in investments like stocks and bonds that are more liquid is certainly more appropriate. The other thing to remember is the last few years, Real estate markets have been, I'm not going to call them artificially liquid, but they've been historically more liquid than what they were in the past. And I can remember clients trying to exit real estate positions that they owned in 2009, 10, 11. You're talking about a 24-month marketing period and people are liquid. They have a distinct advantage over you. That's uh, that almighty dollar sort of, you know, ana- uh, analogy or whatever. And, and I think clients forget that when they see things transacting all the time and they see these values increasing over the last few years uh, almost without end. And it people are going to have a, a hard reminder of how illiquid real estate can be if the market were to turn the other direction. So Those are all good points. Scott, you hit on something talking about the Airbnb and VRBO industry. To me, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like those two companies specifically have kind of become what the house flipping HGTV fandom 
became a couple years ago. Everybody wanted a rent house because they wanted to flip it. They flip, yeah. Now everybody wants to buy a house and air, I'll Airbnb it. I'll VRBO it. Mm. We, I mean, I'm Scott and you and I sat in a client meeting not too long ago and we talked about this specific issue. But I'd love to get your viewpoints here. I know some of our guests might bring this up, but how has that changed the game? It's actually really interesting, particularly in markets where you know vacation homes or rentals is more prominent, obviously. But just think of it this way. You could go to Florida and as an apartment renter or a house renter, you may write a check for four or $5,000 a month for your rent. If you're going to go to, I'm just going to make, I mean, I'm kind of making this up, but just Destin, Florida, for example. Okay. Yep. So you're going to live in Destin, you're going to work, uh, you're going to spend $4,000 a month on rent. That homeowner has an interesting choice to make. They can rent it to you for 30 day periods at $4,000, or they can rent it per day for $400. The reality of that short-term rental nature. And the other thing you're dealing with there is if I'm going to go on vacation, I don't care if the house is $400 a day, but I wouldn't pay $400 a day to live in the house permanently. Right. 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 So that turned economics on its head a little bit in the single family rental market and VRBO, uh, Airbnb provided, you know, the infrastructure, the network of connecting those house renters with, you know, lessors and lessees for lack of a better term, yep. together and created a market that really, you know, expanded the use of those properties and dramatically improved the economics. But understand that if you are a VRBO homeowner and you're going to do that, you're now running, you're running a, a bed and breakfast. That's what you're running. Yeah. And yep. uh, it's a, it's a game of scale, the same as, um, you know, the single family rental market. I started to say this earlier and I forgot, so I'll say it now. It's like, People say, well, I'm going to own a rent house. So well, you better get 20. You better get 50 because you're playing a scale game. The more you have, the more of a real investment it's going to be as, as well as a business. But yeah. VRBO and Airbnb is the same thing. It's a scale game, but it did change the economics because it increased the rental expectation. And that had the effect of inflating property values, particularly in vacation areas, yep. tremendously. Yeah. It's interesting. A couple other things we'll talk about. Leverage, you guys have already brought that up. The other thing I read about as I was doing some research was just the online real estate platforms, crowdfunding, the tokenization of real estate. Any comments there? We have, I, don't, I don't know if we have any guests lined up that'll hit on this, but. I have one and I, I'd be anxious to hear Zach's thoughts on this. I was visiting with somebody recently and they were talking about uh, the tokenization of real estate investments and things. And you know, Zach alluded to this earlier, 2008-9, non-traded REITs really got small investors, it got a hold of yeah. small investors bad. Yeah. And Zach is absolutely right. And then unfortunately, what happened was you had large groups of capital, smart money, so to speak, that came in and aggregated all that and really took advantage of that illiquidity that was in the market. The tokenization of real estate has the ability to introduce investors uh, in smaller increments to be able to gain access to it. And in a way that may, emphasis on may, prevent that issue that occurred to some extent in 2009, where, you know, you had these non-private, non-publicly traded REITs that basically had people's assets frozen. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the market, but it is opening up the asset class to more people, which, you know, would tend to make you think that it could have a big impact on values. To the positive side, if you can increase the amount of people that can invest, I think it also creates a real danger again for smaller investors that don't understand why they're buying into that. 
uh, and what it will actually mean for their portfolio long term. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, Zach. But I agree with all that. I have certainly looked at some of those peer funding type real estate investments. I, I even invested in a couple of them, probably early 2010s. I'm very much an efficient markets person. My view, both from my personal experience and, and just theoretically speaking, you're going to have a lot of hands in that pot. And so for the end investor, I think it's very unlikely that they're going to get returns that are superior to other investments on a risk-adjusted basis. So that doesn't mean it can't be an okay investment. I don't think on average it's going to be an amazing investment. And, and that's another thing about real estate, particularly private real estate, that is important. There are so many costs, and Scott knows this better than I do, but you've got brokers involved. You've got management companies involved. You've got just property. You have a roof that goes bad. You have an air conditioning that goes out. All of those things add up, and ultimately, those are costs that are borne by the investor. Yeah. Those can reduce your returns. and and that's So there are a different set of risk factors there. There's also, on average, a higher level of fee that is charged mm -hmm. in private real estate investing than other investment options out there. The real thing to to jump into there, whether you're talking about a small investor who's going to buy a you know a token of of some property somewhere, or they're going to invest, is the discussion uh, about allocation and and what is a proper level of exposure. I said it you know at the outset of this, which is I start that conversation by asking them why. You know, you talked about land. I have seriously had people in meetings tell me that they're going to buy land because they want to increase their income. <laughs> that is not... That's not how land works. That's not how land works. <laughs> um, but it's it's okay. It really allows me to funnel the conversation. And I, I have vastly more than 10 or 15% of my portfolio allocated to real estate. But as Zach will tell you, I have a very long-term plan to unravel that allocation in a responsible way and get much more balanced right. between my liquid investments and my illiquid investments, right. which are real estate. And I think that's it can happen fast if you get into the real estate business where you look up and all of your money is tied up. And not only is it tied up in real estate, it typically gets tied up in one market. So if you own 40 rent houses in Oklahoma City, your diversification lacks not only an asset and geography, but there's a lot of issues there you get into when you talk about good portfolio construction and disciplined investing and things like that. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. And I would argue if you can create value in real estate, you should have more real estate than the average person. Agreed. And that is absolutely true of Scott. So if that's your business, then it's just like any business owner. The likelihood is the majority of your net worth is going to be tied up in your business. It's very different to make your business in the technology and or make your money in the technology industry and then decide you're going to run in a real estate empire. That's like the person who goes and opens a restaurant or a pub because they've made a bunch of money. You see those fail all the time. So yep. I think there's a big distinction there. I 100% agree with that. Real estate in its purest form and in its best form as an investment is that you can add value to the ownership of that asset through your management expertise through your knowledge of the market, through your ability to have connections in construction, tenant improvement, maintenance and repair. You know, the guy that I always uh, remember back in 2010 through 13, when sheriff sales were still a big deal, I would go to Oklahoma County sheriff sales on a regular basis. 
and there was this guy there. He was there every time. He was in overalls. Anybody from Oklahoma City is probably going to figure out who this is if they know the real estate game. <laughs> but he's in overalls. He always wore a hat. He looked like he had just come from digging a ditch somewhere, always dirty. The man owned, uh, at last count when I visited with him, over 800 rental homes. Whoa. And he was the one who went to every one of those homes and changed the fluid master who unclogged the banana that some tenant's kid flushed down the toilet that My replaced the gosh. filters and the air conditioners. So that's the way he adds value, but that saves him tremendously. I don't have a lot of clients who are going to want to go replace a fluid master in a toilet. I don't have that. Yeah. You know, th that's a big thing to remember too, I think, uh, about, you know, getting involved in that, the exposure there, what you're doing. It, it's just those are the things people don't tend to pay enough attention to, in my opinion. When a client comes into our office with real estate holdings or interest in real estate, how do, and for both of you, how do you handle that conversation? You've kind of talked about exposure to real estate, but how do, what do we feel is the proper exposure? And maybe the answer is, is it their business? Do they want it to be their business or not? And then I think this becomes a private equity conversation, alternative asset conversation. We're not saying real estate's a terrible, terrible investment. No, uh, not at all. We're not no, saying yeah. it doesn't fit within a portfolio. Right. Let's end as we go into the series uh, here out the rest of this year and into next year of what's proper exposure? Where does it fit inside a portfolio and, and how should a client view it? I'll actually start this and, and let Zach... So here's how this works. This is a little behind the curtain stuff for, for both our clients and folks who are not our clients who may be listening. A client comes in. I said how that conversation starts. I want to rent house. My normal response is, no, you don't. But <laughs> I say, okay, well, let's talk about why. And I have that conversation of what they're trying to accomplish, what they believe that will fit. And then I talk about what their exposure is today. So I walk through their home, the value that it has, any vacation properties they have. Have they invested in real estate previously? What types of investments have they made? What are they comfortable with? And then I, I treat that as a menu to have a conversation about, okay, well, let's talk about private placements. Let's talk about potential private REIT investments or public REIT investments. I want to go through those options and help clients identify what about those seems attractive. When I leave that room, I'm going to walk into Zach's office and I'm going to say, okay, so-and-so wants to add real estate exposure to their portfolio. Let's talk about you know, what their asset allocation was before they came in and you help me kind of figure out how we're going to add this in. And Zach, I'll let you take it from there, but that's really about the way each one of those processes works. Okay. So, yeah. um, and then I go into Zach's office. I Totally agree. So from a publicly traded market perspective, as I said, real estate's about 3% of the S&P. So we're going to have that exposure. So every client who's with us is going to have some level of publicly traded read exposure. Where I think you can get a lot more diversification benefit is through the private markets, as Scott talked about. But he said something earlier, which I totally agree with, and that is, what are you asking that asset to do? So there are a whole lot of real estate investments out there. So think about a triple net Starbucks lease investment, right? That is closer to a bond it than is. anything else. And you're going to get bond-like returns. Yep. I mean, you and I looked at some, I mean, we saw what yields in the fours, two, in the fours, I think yep. maybe even threes for, in the th well, it, for something like Starbucks, right? Yeah, I, I saw a, a Starbucks in California that traded at a three and a half cap. Yeah. So truly there, you're comparing it to maybe a, a corporate bond yield and you have, uh, you and I would agree, some additional risks that occur in real estate investing because- I'll take your bond. Starbucks can 
moved their location for one. And I know you've dealt with uh, some restaurants that have moved locations and that's <laughs> not very fun, especially when you're thinking about 30 years uh, to get your money back. Yep. Right. In that case. So a restaurant could easily move in the next 30 years and you might not even get your money back. So that's on the more bond-like real estate investment side. And then you could have a very speculative value add project with a lot of leverage that is much more like a stock and probably even riskier than a stock in some aspects. So it depends on what you're wanting the asset to do, how it's going to fit into the portfolio and how we might adjust or classify that asset, whether it's more on the bond side, more on the stock side. I think alternative investments is is kind of a catch-all term that we use for our private real estate investing, sure. but it's always going to come back to what the client's objectives are at the end of the day. And I absolutely think real estate is potentially a great asset class, but you've got to dive so much deeper than that to figure out how best to fit it in your overall portfolio. When I have that conversation, as I said with, with Zach, and let's just say that we settle on an agreement that the client has the overall net worth to afford some illiquid exposure. I go back to what I settled on the client with the objective being either hey, look, I'm trying to get my asset base to grow now because I can afford to take that risk today. Okay, well, let's find a very equity-like real estate investment that we can get you involved in. And we're keeping track of those clients. And then when things come through our office, across our desks, I'm looking at those investment opportunities and saying, this is perfect for these clients because it accomplishes that objective. And then I can call the client back and say, hey, you know our investing philosophy. I'm not letting you put a million dollars in this deal. Let's take a $50,000 chunk or whatever that number is, but it's a small bite. And let's spread those investments out over things like this. Right. So we get exposure to different managers, different markets, different assets. That's what we're looking at. And so to Zach's point, if you know the client says ultimately says equity, I'm looking for it's going to be a little riskier. It, in, in some cases, may even be speculative. And those are things we have to have really difficult conversations mm -hmm. with clients about before they say, yeah, I want to participate there. Some of them can be very straightforward and they're much more of an income. But I, I can't let this go without saying it. Buying a Starbucks at a 3.75 and 3 cap rate, which essentially means you're getting a 3.75% yield on the purchase price you paid, that is not a bond. It's way worse. Because when that bond matures, you get your money back. When Starbucks lease runs out, <laughs> your property does not have the same value yeah. that it did when Starbucks had 15 years on its lease. Actually, what's happening is that lease matures as it goes through its time frame, its term, it's getting less valuable. And until that lease is renewed by Starbucks, it won't have the same value again. Mm -hmm. Worse, if Scott's Coffee comes in behind it, the value of that asset just got crushed. And so it's a, it, people make that mistake regularly when they're evaluating real estate as a replacement for bond. Very dangerous. Real quickly, what are you most looking forward to about kind of what we've talked about, the lineup we've talked about, which segment do you think is going to be the most interesting to you? I think they're all going to be fascinating. What are you looking forward to the most? For me, I, I want to give clients a our podcast to be a reference tool for them as they're confronted with real estate opportunities or that they're trying to navigate in the future. Again, understanding something as simple as how to talk to a broker and what value they bring and when you engage them and when you don't. Understanding what you're getting into when you start to manage properties. Those are the things clients don't have the ability to think through if they've not been in the business. And it's very important that they do. 
so I think those are the things that I'm the most looking forward to is just creating some information for, for clients to be better educated and be able to make better decisions about how they participate in real estate as an asset class. Great. Zach? I agree with all that. I, I think it's fascinating to think through how value is created in real estate along with the sources of return. And ultimately, you know, I, honestly, I don't know too many people who don't have at least some interest in real estate. Yeah. Right. So hopefully through the podcast series, we can help people decide, all right, is real estate a cla an asset class that makes a lot of sense for me? If so, then what's the best approach for me to get exposure to it? Is it, you know, a more speculative investment because I've got a very long time horizon, I've got a ton of money, or is it uh, some more bond-like exposure because I want to make sure I have some some current income? And those are very different things. And I, I think Scott can help people understand where real estate fits into the portfolio very well. Guys, I appreciate your time as always. I am really looking forward to to this series. I think our, I know our listeners, our clients, I think our network partners are really going to appreciate the information we're going to put out there. So thanks again. And if you're listening, we'll have kind of the first interview within this series here coming out shortly. But today was just a nice overview. So thanks for joining me, guys. You bet. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please review and subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital for this informational podcast. purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.